theme for the afternoon talk is three kinds of uh, happiness. We live, and perhaps have done so for a generation or two, with a daily assault attack on us, on our senses, to uh, purchase more. Our identity slowly but surely and systematically seems to be have become very much converted into us as customers. Our attention is being bought and a whole world of surveillance, um, psychologists, trend informers, so-called experts, are working day in and day out, spending significant sums of uh, money in order that we, as uh, customers, will work harder, earn more money, and with that, buy more goods and services. And it is very easy for us, under this uh, assault which is taking place, to kind of submit to it. It can enter into many conversations around money, goods, needs, consumption, and much, much more. And a core message that runs with this is through the advertising, the happy family stuff and all of that, that if we secure this, purchase this, get that, it will make us happy. The evidence seems extremely low. When, I think in the EU, at any given time, around 50% of the population is taking some kind of medication for something or other. So, happiness is a, a movement away from all of this, and to put the field of pleasure, <coughs> which is what let's talk about really, into a proper perspective. Because through all the uh, pressures upon us, we have got confused in our heart and mind. And what I mean by that is, yeah, there are lots of lovely, precious things uh, in life which bring pleasure to us and that can show itself in that there is a wish for something 
where you might go to buy some food organic of course locally grown of course uh, etc we pay a little bit more for that of course but we're supporting our local farmers of course and we take a step or steps in that direction there and that nutritious food is, we get pleasure uh, from it we buy uh, something for uh, a friend, a partner, a lover, kids, or whoever it uh, uh, might be. We go shopping for that. We know this is just what she or he or they want. And there's a real pleasure in finding something and offering and sharing and giving to the other. Uh, so there is the field of pleasure. It genuinely has a, uh, an important and a valuable place in, uh, in, in daily life. But the exaggeration of it, the confusion of pleasure with happiness, is where the issue is. And in a human being, we have the capacity, it's not always so easy, to, to distinguish what is pleasure and what is happiness and is there a feeling quality difference between the two and it's one of the many important questions and I could say actually I will say there that the life of this planet and sustainable life is the dependent on many factors and one of them is human beings getting this to know the difference between the two because the pursuit of pleasure the pursuit of goods of things of having more is eating up the remaining capital which we call the earth it, it simply cannot stand nor bear, that means the earth, humans, animals, farms, pets, wild animals, the nature, cannot accommodate the demands of humans for pleasure. It can't deal with it. It's destroying it. And there's one liner of a ship with these, what do they call these holiday ships holiday hotels or whatever those kind of holiday on those ocean going liners something like a day or a week is the equivalent to driving a million miles that's how much energy it takes those passengers sitting on that thing that they're in nice clean air the emissions coming out of the ship is worse than spending a day in the middle of the city but they're not told that one example so we in our exploration in our looking at pleasure at the destruction of local communities to convert them into 
holiday villages and hotels and so forth. Can we, here and elsewhere, make some time for re reflection and look and see what in life is giving pleasure through eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch and yet I'm not making as a human being, myself or my family or my partner and I or my colleagues and I'm not making a big demand on the world. I appreciate the pleasure of something which I buy, something which I see and, and purchase or hear and smell, smell or taste or, or touch. But I'm mindful enough, I have enough knowledge to know what is supportive and what is destructive. In the EU, more money is spent on perfume than is given in aid to the rest of the world. Extraordinary. Smelly water, I call it. So looking and questioning and investigating there will affect one's life because we wish to be more mindful creatures. We still wish to enjoy pleasure. I'm not denying the value of it, but to repeat a little, to recognise differences between pleasure and happiness. And we get this balance right. If we don't, as we see with the weather and much, much more. <clears throat> In the exploration of happiness, in this case the, the first kind of uh, happiness, uh, uh, there is something in the feeling world, in the feeling in the being. Something extraordinary about the feeling of feeling happy. Something with consciousness as creatures of the earth to feel a sense of happiness. And it seems that prior to the happiness, this is the important piece, happiness comes from a certain receptivity, as maybe an interest, a uh, curiosity, uh, a presence. And that happiness is not defined, this first kind now, is not defined by the present moment. It also can be revealed, and that extraordinary feeling can be revealed, through the relationship that we have when we look at the past. <coughs> and small things in the past, which we, in our meditations, naturally in our day, we turn our attention <coughs> to, and they, they, they and something touches us. And if I may say, just having um, uh, little uh, experience uh, uh, of, uh, of this, um, if I may say, I spent 10 years in the East, hitchhiked, 
Germany and Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, what was called in 1967 the Hippie Trail. And I was in the Hippie Club. Uh, uh, there. <clears throat> Love, peace and harmony and all that. And I would write home very regularly to my mum and stepfather mum and dad. Uh, they're pretty well, rather a good son actually. Um, around every week or ten days I would send a letter. And then they, and they would write to me to post respond in the next place I was going to. You go to the local post office, you show the passport, and they get out any letter for you. There. My mother, there, she kept every single letter I sent over this ten-year period. And it, with postcards and sometimes long letters in envelopes, most of them aerograms, some of you might have to be 50 years or older to remember aerograms, uh, or whatever. 427 of them. Kept in a box. He said, oh, you have to write your memoirs sometime. I said, yes, mum, uh, etc. And they were stuck up there in the loft. They've got more important things to do than live in the past. Um, and then she really put a lot of pressure on me. I haven't got much longer to live. And blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, I promise. I'll do it. I start. So I made a start. Three or four chapters. Gave them to her. She died two or three years ago. And when we looked in the drawers, in the home for the aged there, they were in this little wallet, three or four chapters, right there at the top of the drawer. She had read them. Anyway, more importantly, is how in going to the past and remembering the events, how the memory um, is, is it's extraordinary phenomena, how impersonal it is. And you may find uh, this with yourself. I would go back to the past, the letters, plus a minimum of 20 diaries full of dirt, 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 Christopher, dirt, dirt, I, me and my gone mad, <laughs> you know, with these uh, 10 years. And I would look at that, and some things which I read, it was like, <coughs> it happened yesterday. And I'm talking 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 1967 to 1977. And it was just crystal clear, just amazing. Uh, there. And, there is, and the other things which I would look at and read uh, there, I could remember the situation. Some of it was quite exciting. Not only the drugs, by the way, but, but um, or the relationships or other things, or the view, <laughs> etc. And interesting, but I couldn't remember much about it, but it's written there, and it's, it's got my, whatever. And there were other things which were interesting and exciting, and there, and I was reading them, wow, and I cannot remember it. I just cannot remember it. And yet it's there, and it's written. And they've been going to Cornwall, staying in a room in Cornwall, going for walks, coming back and doing the writing, there, and sometimes it just sparks. And that which I could not remember, it's completely gone, and suddenly it's back. 
human being with our capacity and I say out of that lots of happiness wow amazing interesting I'm glad I did that even the difficult things there I learned something from that happy to have gone through that happy to have experienced uh, that afterwards of course <laughs> longer afterwards etc <laughs> so happiness can come from not obsessing about the past sometimes it's spontaneous arising sometimes we just remember and it touches us and the happiness which can emerge out of the past is more important than the event. It's the response. And in the same way, with relationship to the future there, though, personally here, <coughs> um, I have no interest in the language of hope. I know the former president, Mr. what's his name, Obama. He used hope a lot. We, and we see it sometimes in various texts about hope. Uh, there. It gives me the chills when I use this word, hope, uh, uh, there. And in, for those of you who know little of the Buddhist texts, one can't, can't find the word hope in the text uh, there. And there's no hope for people with hope. <laughs> that? That's a bit hard. But the view, this is the, 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 the view. Hope is to invest the future with a positivity. This is hope. To invest, to project, to interpret the future and give it a positive spin. And the shadow of hope is disappointment. It lingers in it. And if you, for those of you, few of you, Dharma uh, Wallers here, there is a word in the English which is upeka. It's the Pali word. In the English, it means equanimity. It means being very steady in relationship to the past, in relationship to the present, and in relationship to the future. And upeka, that's with an O, just for the change, the upeka is a relationship to the future which doesn't have any steadiness nor balance or perspective on it because it's got this positive spin to it. And it's not surprising, is it, that so much views about the future is either hope or fear hope or anxiety hope it will get better there and can we find a way of looking which includes the happiness here for a moment there in which I cannot state as a human being that this will get better this will work out whatever it is I one does not have that capacity uh, uh, 
uh, with this. We can't make life in the future fit the way that we want. If you and I can be grounded in the present, which will bring happiness naturally to us, it may well release inspiration, energy, creativity, which is all the best of the human condition, which we have then the wish and the initiative to apply from present in the f- to the future. So it's not hoping the future will get better and hoping everything will work all out all right, but we find ways to really explore creatively and with initiative and inspiration from others and from within, find ways to see from this which emerges, which has a happiness with it, we then apply. And that has nothing to do with positive projections. It means that any thought, shall we say, with regard to the future, really has a really clear relationship to what is happening today. Otherwise it's a fantasy. Otherwise it's a a good idea. But it's not grounded in the being of what's happening today or this week in in our life. So, therefore, mindfulness is not confined to the present. It is not confined to the now. It is able to respond, in this case happiness, to events of the past. And there is plenty for you and I to be extraordinarily happy about with regard to the past. It can equally apply to the future in our initiatives, our creativities, our service to... Uh, others and ourselves and much more and also to the present so mindfulness is not def- nor meditation is not defined or confined to this moment to the now it's too small it's too restrictive no matter what these gurus tell you I tell you it's far too small to be in just being in the now yawn yawn so a bit more expansive view of past present and future So, happiness, another aspect of this, sometimes we look at a situation and we say, on retreat and elsewhere, this, whatever it is, needs to change in my life. Whatever it might be. It could be a habit, could be an addiction, could be a dependency, could be a mood, could be an anger, could be a worry. Challenges of the human existence. And there is a genuine, authentic sense. This really needs to change. And sometimes we do not have within us all the resources to change. We don't. It's asking too much of ourselves 
to say, oh, the truth is within you. This is another boring spiritual mantra. Oh, the truth is within you. You just have to find the truth within you. Something. (laughs) (laughs) Look under the armpits, you know, down inside one's trousers or something. It's within you. (laughs) So one gets told these tedious messages. Uh, And sometimes, and it's not to claim, oh, he or she have got the truth inside of them and they're going to give it to me before Thursday morning. (laughs) Or whatever. Uh, 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 There. It's nothing to do with truth. Truth, in these teachings, is not a construction with the language. It's not views that you and I have. Truth is that which changes a human being for their well-being, for their clarity, for their realisation. Then you know the truth is touched. You can't, we can't put that into a language. So as an example, say, oh gosh, I know, really having some problems in my day-to-day life, or I can't make up my mind about something, and it's putting pressure on me, and much, much more. And then maybe, as with meditations, working with a good therapist, spending time in the nature, using the skills of mind-body, maybe out of the dynamic of one of those options, or more of them, something touches, and it changes, and and one knows I am out of this stress. This worry has stopped. This anger and blaming and cynicism towards another or others has ended. And that is a break from the old into something fresh and new. And the break from the unsatisfactory old into something fresh and new, it means one has seen the truth of the situation and has broken free from the problem of it. That is what truth is about. It's a liberating. So the scientists don't have truth. They have a legitimate perspective, and sometimes an illegitimate perspective as well. And the religious people can have a legitimate and illegitimate perspective. And the Buddhists can have, and everybody else can have. But in the Dharma teachings, truth is that which is authentically transforming us. It's not a description. It's not a bundle of words repeated and put together. And it may be in the time that we are here as well as elsewhere. It may take as a gradual approach quite a lot of work, quote-unquote, to change us. But Sometimes it is extraordinarily sudden. It's not through a lot of practice, 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 work, work, sangha, sangha, dialogue, dialogue. Sometimes in life, preciously and beautifully, something changes and out of the blue and unexpectedly, whoa, something comes and and it's changed us. And we feel something has shifted. It has opened up. We may not be able to explain it to ourselves, 
we may not be able to explain it to another, but we do. Why? Why do we have to keep explaining changes in our life? Sometimes the force of nature changes us, it frees us up, and we feel grateful for it. There is happiness as well, which comes in the unexpected. And a small situation, I haven't quite touched took place for myself here, maybe, maybe a couple of years uh, ago. And I had a, re- a reminder of it just a few months ago. And that is um, at home, where I live in uh, 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 Totnes, a uh, rat, not the most popular creature in, amongst the human species, found its way uh, into their house. And I could hear it wandering up and down in the loft there. And going into, through into my neighbour's loft, I, I live in a terraced house, and about two or three houses wandering up and, up and down uh, there. And then it couldn't find anything to eat up in the loft. And it found its way downstairs, and then there's a bag of flour in the cupboard, and it sunk its, opened that up, and, and then something else. So I got a rat trap, and non-violent, of course. <laughs> Shouldn't have to say that here. Uh, there, and put out a piece of apple, but... It, it's definitely not a fruitarian. Uh, and um, biscuit, oat biscuit, it found it. Uh, then put it in there and caught the rat uh, there. And then friends said, look, you've got to take it quite a long way away because they'll find their way back there. So it's there. It's interesting with these animals. When I opened the kitchen door, and there's the cage, like this, and there's the rat. As soon as it saw me, it went into panic mode. You know, etc. Et and it's interesting that the human voice, just talking quietly, mindfully, and respectfully, yeah. look, I'm not going to kill you. So it's going to take you away. You've been a guest far too long. You've outstayed your welcome, <laughs> etc. And then put on the gardening gloves and the black bag, and, and then went off through the fields, two or three miles there, with some rice crackers, because it might be hungry out in the woods, <laughs> and left it, left it there, etc. And it reminded me, I was having a one-to-one, might be last year, maybe the year before, in the room, some of you have been there, and incidentally, by the end of tomorrow, Ula and I will have met all, with all of, all of you, and then we make the spaces for people to sign up and come when you wish. And... So I'm sitting there in the same chair and the good person, the one-to-one, is there. And then my eye caught that that cat that around was there and it had a mouse. You know, and they, you know they, 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 they like to boast and show off cats. You know, look, I've got a mouse. He wants me to see you. I've got a mouse. And I knew if I just jumped up quickly... The poor meditator in front of me must have 
forth, going to jump on her. But anyway, jumped up, opened the door quick, and then the cat ran back. And the mouse ran inside. <laughs> As they do. There. So I carried on with a one-to-one, etc., etc. If you've been in the room, I looked everywhere for this mouse. I mean, it's not like it's Buckingham Palace, is it? I could not find this mouse there. So I went to bed, 10, 10.30. I put a nice biscuit provided by the staff, good quality, in the middle of the floor. And I thought, if the mouse is here, have the biscuit. Right in the middle of the floor. Got up at six o'clock in the morning, went out. There was not a speck of biscuit left. It had gone totally. Second night, ten o'clock, I, thought, I left the door open. I could go out any time during the day, nice sunny days. <laughs> Second time, I wasn't sure, so I'll just put the biscuit. Must have gone, I'll just put the biscuit there. Got up in the morning, not, not a speck of biscuit left. It consumed an entire biscuit. Uh, there. This is what made me smile. This is what made me laugh. It's 10 o'clock at night, the following night. I'm sitting there, doing my bit of work on the laptop. This mouse is less than half a metre from me looking up <laughs> with its big brown eyes, more or less saying, where's my biscuit? <laughs> so that triggers another conversation. And the next day, it got, I didn't leave it a biscuit, and then it, it left, etc. And I only use it as a very small example. There are situations in life where you and I, we can't plan this, we can't organise it. We have no idea this little event is going to happen in our, our life. And something unplanned, unworked for, unsought after, whatever, happens. And it touches a place and it brings out happiness. That's a lovely happiness. There are many of them. To really let life respond and touch and let us be uh, uh, accessible to all these happinesses which are there for human beings as the Buddha commented who are mindful, caring receptive and connected and, and that brings its own um, um, nourishment we might say to us second important kind of uh, how am I doing? oh dear second important kind of happiness uh, there. So one is the happiness from the calm and relaxation, the reduction of the stress, uh, the greater sense of well-being. There's a contentment and a happiness comes with that which is very, very important for us as human beings. A second area, I touched upon a little bit with you a moment or two ago, is the happiness which emerges out of us it could be through some insights, called vipassana in the tradition. It could be through some realizations. Something has touched us. It kind of gets released 
in our being and a happiness can come which says I wish to do that I can do that and and it's a challenge there is some risk involved and the activity or the action takes place and I've been lending an ear on um, with the Extinction Rebellion movement that's going on um, in various places including starting here in Germany and some various friends including some Dharma teachers have been engaged in these protests so some of them were on the bridges in uh, London and in the spirit of non-violence and tolerance and uh, sharing they lie, they're lying down on the bridges there and uh, I mean many things I don't like about the British police but, uh, there but sometimes a little bit easier than our dear cousin police on the French side if I may say and the activists whose core, one of their core concepts is disruption, understand the word? To disrupt. They're on the bridge. And they are, very politely and kindly, begging the police to arrest them. And the police, and they, and they say, why, why are you asking us to arrest you? Because we want to get 500 of us arrested today because the more arrests the more publicity and the more publicity about this climate emergency that we are in so please arrest us because so far it was only 72 and 24 were from Totnes where I live <laughs> made it quite accurate and they said look we would love to arrest you <laughs> but the government have imposed so many cuts on the police and on our vehicles, we have, we have not got the police officers nor the vehicles to arrest you. And therefore we can't. So it ended up with 89 arrests, which was very disappointing for the activists. <laughs> I have to say, and it's under major discussion what to do. So sometimes people take a step and using it as a small example, a little bit of training, they were afraid, there, there a little bit of fear about what would happen if they get arrested, you know, they get a police record, you know, what, will it affect their jobs, you know, uh, uh, will they go to prison or, or whatever. And some of them who were in the cells said, you know, how the perception changes, like one woman, she said, you know, I've got two teenage kids, rested, kept in the cell overnight and she said when the police officer slammed the door on me and locked the door and hear that lock turn over there she said I felt scared I felt really lonely I was by myself and there was just a bunk there and a blanket and that was, uh, that was it there and when I heard this how the perception, for some of us, this is the ex-Buddhist monk talking here, what? Being put in a cell for the night? 
having three meals a day brought to you, <laughs> opportunity to meditate in silence and stillness. This is heaven. It's a different view. The police officers kept them in one night or two nights, etc. And said to them when they came out of their cells, that some said, we really appreciate what you're doing and our children have asked us to thank you on their behalf. <laughs> and the kids meant it. Friday for the future. That's what the kids are doing. Friday for the future. Bless them. And something out of the difficulties, the drama, the uncertainty and the insecurity, even amidst all of that, sometimes there's a conviction and there's a certain happiness comes out of our being of how authentic it, authentic it is to make a change, to initiate something, to do something. And uh, listening um, to men, women and children uh, on this, it's a privilege to hear the steps that people are taking, you know, on behalf, on behalf of all of us actually, young and old, present and future uh, generations. So there's the happiness of calm and clarity and insight, the happiness of letting go of old issues in the past. There is the happiness which comes out of insights, out of realisations, to be creative, to give support to each other, to um, make steps, to take risks with our life, to see the adventure of it, with all the challenges. And that's the, the second major happiness. And there's the third happiness, sometimes referred to as the supreme happiness of all. And, and that happiness is a happiness <coughs> of knowing what a genuinely authentic, deep and profound liberation is. That there is a knowing and a realisation of not being tied down to any particular state of mind. Not feeling the need to build up an identity because the shadow is we build up an identity how easy it can turn the other way and we start putting down the identity about anything and therefore a liberation which is not tied up with a state of mind secular, spiritual, religious, mystical or whatever a liberation which is not tied into an identity, the freedom, uh, an entrapment. And that liberation is a freedom from the problems of the past. Freedom to be, which is a very precious freedom in life there. And equally important, the freedom to respond. And teaching speak of this liberation as the highest happiness. And the other ones which I referred to you, these are deeply precious and important happinesses. And sometimes in just a moment, just listening to the birds, uh, the sweetness of uh, the nature around us, the, the noble silence, 
the tremendous support from the staff, the nourishing food, the quiet moments, a short reflection on the memory, inspiration for an action in the future. All of those are expressions of what a, a very beautiful and deep happiness uh, is. And may it be, as the tradition has said, for two and a half thousand years and more, Sabe Sakta Sukita Hantu, that in every Buddhist monastery, Sabe Sata Sukita Hantu, may all beings be happy. Let's have our quiet minute, shall we?